Hey, 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 welcome back to Scholar Tea, where it's another week of scholars giving you the tea. I'm Cameron Carl. And I'm Shauna. And we are excited to be back in community with y'all. Shauna, gotta take your temperature. How you feeling today? If your mood was a 90s sitcom, what would it be to describe your mood today? I even gotta think about this one. It's a different world. And it's a different world because... Uh, you know, the initial reasons why Different World was established uh, changed really drastically with Lisa Bonet, you know. So, yeah, uh, new issues, new characters, very unpredictable things that should seem really easy to contend with and deal with blow up and, and just become ridiculous for no reason. You think that the players are going to be there. You turn around, they're gone. It's all different all the time. But in a college setting. So just color me Lisa Bonet from a different world. But while she was still employed, not when she was removed from the show. Dwayne, please, please, Jaleesa, please. (laughs) So my mood for today is living single, uh, literally and figuratively. You know, in a 90s kind of world, I'm glad I got my girls, you know, like you. But I feel like I'm just trying to navigate this world. Always something you know, trying to get my hustle on like Khadijah. Sometimes I feel a little spacey, a little airy, you know, like our favorite cousin. And sometimes I'm on my shit like Maxine Shaw, attorney at law. And today I'm feeling all three. (laughs) Just got done teaching. I was on my shit, clocking in. Students was getting it. I had a student thank me for creating space, you know, in some other roles professionally. I feel a little spacey, a little airhead. Like, I feel like I should know what I'm doing, but I'm faking it till I make it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then in all aspects of life, it's just a hustle and a grind. So I'm living single in a 90s kind of world. But I'm glad I got my girls. We would love to hear how y'all are feeling today describing your day as a 90s sitcom. So hit us up on Facebook or on Twitter. So today we are going to do what we usually do and highlight our Scholar of the Week. We are going to spill some tea. There's an administration that has forgiven some student loans. So let's talk about it. We have a wonderful interview with the Black Divism podcast co-host JT Snipes and Sharice Fine that we are going to offer you all as a love offering. Uh, Really excited about the conversation we had with Blacktivism in the Academy. And then I need to talk about what's been problematic. Uh, We ain't taking care of ourselves and we need to name it. And of course, John is going to leave you with those jokes of the week. So let's get into it. Our scholar of the week this week is Dr. Candice Hall who is also a co-host of the Blacktivism in the Academy podcast. Check them out on all podcast platforms. Dr. Candace Hall is an assistant professor and program director at Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. She earned her doctorate in education at Maryville University School of Education in the Higher Education Leadership Program. She is a scholar practitioner committed to understanding how increased support impacts faculty's research productivity, the development of innovative teaching strategies, and faculty-student engagement within and outside of the classroom. Her research interests include recruitment, retention, and support of faculty at research-intensive institutions. We are spotlighting Dr. Hall today because she recently created a new documentary on being Black in the academy and specifically looking at how cluster hires facilitate building community. 
The documentary called Cluster Luck is a short film that highlights the experiences of a group of Black faculty within a department at a historically white institution. It unpacks what community means and what it looks like for Black scholars to have a supportive community within the department and at their institutions. If you would like to learn more about the documentary, find it at www.candicehall.com slash cluster luck. And we'll put the link in the episode notes for you to find it easily. Congratulations and really excited about the documentary and to see that. And we, I think we should have Candace Hall on an episode in the future um, just to talk about the documentary because I think I love the idea of that. And to me, that is also scholarship and highlighting the importance of some of the things that the literature says, but being able to have narratives around around those experiences through a documentary format. So absolutely, especially since when you put all of the strategic diversity, equity, inclusion plans from these institutions side by side, re- resoundingly, there's always a line in there about diversifying faculty and staff. So the literature would demonstrate that providing a cohort model, a mentoring model for for peer mentoring um, around cluster hiring is a proven way to ensure that you are diversifying your faculty and staff. Why not put to practice um, some of the things that the literature is saying? And I I do think that this allows for some folks to have a a different kind of access to that kind of information. Love it. Love it. All right. What's happening in these higher ed academic streets? Let's spill some tea. Well, speaking of access uh, and understanding that, you know, it's great if you had a full ride or if your your family had it for you, they could pay your tuition to get you a college education, maybe a graduate degree. That's amazing. Happy to hear it. Um, Other folks like myself had to take out student loans to make sure that I could make it through. Um, And to to add another layer to that, you know, a community-based relationship person, I usually took it out, not for me, right? And so I don't know how many people can relate to that, but I was actually taking out student loans to help uh, support my family in addition to making sure that I could progress through my college degree, partially because I understood that going to college meant that I could not contribute to the family with, uh, with, with funding that would usually come from a job. So I think it's really interesting that in the wee hours of August 2022, the Biden administration outlined his plan for eliminating student debt in mass for thousands of people burdened with student loans. According to their plan, graduates were forgiven $20,000 of debt if you relied upon Pell Grants in college, uh, forgiven $10,000 of debt if you were not Pell eligible in college, Forgiveness was only applied to those making less than $125,000 annually. A pay cap of 5% was also applied based on income. And it also afforded an extension on payments through December 31, 2022. If they had extended it to December 31, 2024, I wouldn't have complained at all. But by the time the 11th hour had struck, it appeared that all hell broke loose on social media. And for many, debt relief surged as a polarizing topic where some believe that a student's debt is of their own making and they should fully cover said debt. Others were the mindset that education should be attainable to the extent that college graduates don't find themselves riddled with debt. So Cameron, what are your thoughts on that, given the the current context around higher education, given the current context around access and even pay equity? uh, What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's just many misconceptions around how we as a country pay for student loan and student loan debt. So people are like, oh, my taxes is now forgiven people's loans, right? When really that passed a budget as money spent, 
right? So it was never budgeted to be recouped um, from my understanding of how the funding higher education works is that they pass the budget, they have spent that money, right? Now, when they get that money back, of course, they reinvest it back into, into the government um, and what that looks like. But that money, quote unquote, has already been spent. So you saying that, oh, my taxes are paying for your debt forgiveness, you know, that that money has been spent. So I think there's mis misconceptions of how higher education is funded at, at the federal level. That's a whole nother conversation. I went on a tangent. I'll come back driving the car to the left and we're back. <laughs> the government forgiving $20,000 of my loans does not hurt you in any way. Now, thinking about higher education, is it a you know, public good or an individual good, that to me gets into this conversation of thinking about like loan forgiveness and who's it for, who's the most written with it. All the statistics say that those at the margins, specifically racially, carry the burden of, of student loan, student loan debt, right? And to me, I think it's set up on purpose. Hello, Reagan administration. We want people to remain in debt because that continues to set up the stratification of inequality, right? If they forgive all of our debts and these credit scores are popping, we don't, we're not burdened with the debt. Many of us can now go out and finance a house and invest in generational wealth. Then what does that look like for everybody? Um, and, and thinking about those that have access, those that don't have access, it's, it's the club VIP. Now everybody got access. Or I think the perception is now everybody's going to have access to something that I thought was just for me, or I was elite enough to be able to have access to. Why do these people now get to have access to what I have because they don't no longer have a debt? And I think thinking really critically about what are people really upset about because my loans are forgiven and it's not hurting you at all. What are you really mad about? What are you really mad about? Okay. What's the reason? Okay. What is the reason, Sway? I'm, I'm going to take a detour and then come back to the road too, right? Like going back to what you were saying around my taxes are paying for someone else's education. Uh, technically, yeah, especially depending on their age. Like if they were paying taxes for the last 20, 30, 40 years, then they have been paying into someone else's debt with those loans being uh, drawn and, and administered to people. Sure. But I mean, we've talked about this before. It is my interpretation of the statistics of the scholarship that it is a public good to begin with. And if we restructured our tax base a little bit differently, then maybe more people could have access. I think people are mad because they didn't take out that loan like other folks did. So they probably didn't have the ability to acquire an education to the same extent as someone else. And they're probably pissed off about not being able to take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing is that Biden also, in some ways, sold us the okie doke. Like he was on a campaign trail talking about we loan forgiveness for all. Then he threw out, he started throwing out amounts, but then wasn't very clear. And I only think, I think he would have drugged this out until the 2024 election if he could, but people were holding him accountable for the campaign promises that he made. Like we weren't making it up. It wasn't the progressive saying that this has to happen. Homeboy said this as a campaign promise and commitment to people. And it was in his platform to address the racial wealth gap, right? Like, so now I think People are saying, even in the Democratic Party, that progressives have pushed this agenda. Now, nah, Homeboy said this. This is what he ran on. This is what he got a lot of young people excited to, to vote for him because of the burden that millennials, Gen Xers, the burden of debt that people are carrying for a lifetime 
because we were sold a bill of goods in the context of what higher education can do for our long-term income. Well, it's interesting, you know, many folks know I'm in the middle of Michigan. I lovingly call Michigan the Florida of the North. And um, it's interesting hearing folks talk about this in this way uh, within the context of being upset about loan forgiveness uh, when we're also surrounded currently by uh, several different opportunities, but legislation blocking opportunities for folks that are in rural spaces to have access to uh, tech that would decrease the divide between folks that have full access to high tech and those that don't. And there are people in the area that struck down this legislation, people that saying they don't want to make sure that they're offering support to other folks in loan forgiveness. They voted for these individuals. These individuals have blocked legislation around ensuring that we lessen the divide and digital divide in this area. And I quote, because we wouldn't have people doing service work otherwise. And so if we made sure that folks in this area had full access to high tech and that we were actively seeking to lessen this digital divide, we wouldn't have service workers. So, I mean, this was said, this was said on paper, like this was, this was documented, right? Uh, legislators in our area are actively making sure that we don't, that we don't decrease gaps. And so I, I think it's just all connected in that way. Like the, the very folks that are adamant that this shouldn't be happening aren't realizing that the individuals that are creating or crafting, yes, this inability to lessen the stratifications that do exist in our society. I just don't understand it. <laughs> That's my theme of the season. Like, I just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand the cognitive dissonance that does occur for folks that are concerned and upset that they're not having access or, or fair, equitable access to certain resources, but at the same time are voting against their best interests. Continuously. <laughs> well, that's tea. You know, we spilled a little of that today, but uh, we're going to move on to our interview. We're very excited to bring to you today uh, Blacktivism in the Academy. I consider them uh, intellectual peers uh, creating digital scholarship of their own. Very excited to share space with them today. Hey, y'all. We're excited today to talk with Blacktivism in the Academy. We're very, very, very excited to be speaking with Sharice and JT today. Welcome to Scholar T. Oh, thank y'all. Thanks for having us. How y'all doing? I know. How are you doing? It's it's almost uh, time to already start thinking about the next semester. Are you ready? Are you taking a break? I know. No, I'm I'm teaching this summer, so... There's not a lot of breaks coming, but I am in LA today. I'm feeling really uh, mm -hmm. good. One of my good friends got married over the weekend. So we're just spending a couple extra days here to bask in the sun. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Sharice, you doing anything exciting? I'm teaching too, so no break. <laughs> yeah, I feel like once the summer ends, it's like, here's fall again. Like. <laughs> But I am trying to get some concerts here and there, so, yeah. Don't let Sharice fool you. She out here, too. She's been traveling. <laughs> hey, I saw, her, I saw her on the boat, okay? I saw, <laughs> I saw you on the beach, okay? <laughs> okay, I hope it was a yacht. No. <laughs> One day, yacht goes, though. 
I was celebrating a friend's um her 40th birthday. We were in St. Martin. Okay. But it was That's one of these cool, like they call them rhino riders, but it was like kind of cool where you kind of drive it yourself on the water and stuff. So that was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Well, I mean, y'all sound like you're you're busy, but also like finding ways to take care of yourselves, maybe. So what have the past two years looked like for you and how have you managed? The past two years have been I feel like Dickens, like the best of times and the worst of times, a transitioning to, you know, thinking about our schoolwork or uh, our academic work, transitioning a lot of work to online has been good at times because I do think I have a theory about how at least our students are engaging online. Um, I think with our students being at home, being in their own space and comfortable there's been a, lo- a different level of vulnerability that I've appreciated. I feel like students have gotten to the quick a lot more faster than usual. But being online all day is a drain. I don't foresee that going anywhere. Uh, so just trying to do better about managing the amount of time that I spend on the screen has been a goal of mine. And it's been hard, you know, thinking about the, the national context too, right? So I'm, I lived in San Antonio for, for several years and thinking about the recent shooting that happened in Uvalde. And it seems like every other week or every other day, there's a mass shooting. So just trying to figure out, just trying to stay sane in a world that feels like it's at times losing its own grip. So best of times for me and worst of times. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I started the new job in the middle of pandemic, so transitioning from staff to faculty role. <laughs> so for the past two years, this has just been my life starting like new faculty during COVID. It's, it's been interesting, like hard, grateful support, like having JT and other friends slash colleagues there as that support. But it was rough just starting virtually trying to manage your own emotions and feelings and things you're going through as well as your students. You know, the racial issues that are ongoing that didn't really stop even with the pandemic. So even though we were pausing in other ways, that wasn't, you know, it's just heavy. So just trying to find joy where you can. And I'm like, JT, I'm hoping this summer I could just find more breaks to just breathe and do some stuff just to try to rest where where I can. Where are y'all finding joy? Oh, that's a good question. I'm finding joy in the relationships that I have. So I'm not a newly, I don't know. When do you stop being a newlywed? So (laughs) in December, I'll have been married for four years. My partner is my best friend. And I feel very fortunate that we get to work together on uh, the Black Divism podcast. She's our uh, executive producer basically does all things for the podcast. She's a creative. So I think creatives, and I don't want to generalize, but I think when you when your industry is creative arts, you're often seeking emotional ties to the real world, right? She experiences and helps me to recognize the uh, fullness of emotions that we live with. So she's getting me to sit with the sadness and darkness at times, but she also pushes me to think about the joy in in what I would call the mundane or everyday, right? Like there's moments where we're just together eating food and joking on each other 
or talking about our families or uh, our friendships. So for me, it's it's in the small moments. I don't think I have to do anything big. I just need to be around people that I love and love me. And I think that inherently brings some some level of joy to the experience. That's beautiful. Shout out to Gloria. We love her. <laughs> yeah, I think for me also just being in community with friends, because I have no family here. So like they are my family here. So, you know, it's just being here by myself. So having those moments where we can hang out and just laugh about stuff. And then even small things like now that it's warmer, it's hot today, but now that it's warmer, like going outside, like just being in the sun for a little bit and just finding those small things. And I, I love music and events. So like concerts and stuff. So I've just been really excited just to have a music scene again, just go to the outdoor event and just be. So that's kind of where I'm finding joy. And as both of you know, Sean and I are huge fans of, of the Blacktivism and the Academy podcast. So shout out to y'all, shout out to Gloria and all of the work that you all have been doing to put that put that out into the space that we can engage um, and learn and just have a good time. So so thank you for your labor and the work. Push. If anybody knows, Shana, I know the, the labor that goes into the production of the podcast. So talk to us about how, you know, not only your joy, um, how you've managed, but how your scholarship like shows up in your work with the podcast and the reach of the podcast. Go ahead, Sharice. <laughs> so I'm the newest addition. So this is, uh, I joined season three of Blacktivism in the Academy as the um, new co-host and um, JT was holding it down for a couple of seasons. It's been great. And I think for me, learning more about public scholarship and not realizing I could use this as a form of public scholarship. Like, I think for the longest, I just thought about like, you know, having social media presence, which I don't, but I see more of that as public scholarship. But now that um, doing the podcast as a form of that, that we could hopefully use toward um, tenure and promotion down the line too. But also just something I'm enjoying doing, just having conversations, exploring different um, issues from our lenses and just having a great time too, where I'm at right now. I think for me, a, a secondary function is to highlight the work that is happening. I think there is so much good scholarship being produced by really thoughtful folks that the podcast becomes a way, at least for me, to to send small love letters to to people whose work I admire um, and give them another venue to talk about the the brilliant things that that they're doing. Um, So I I think my own scholarship is is less present in in the podcast. And I, I, I see it more as a venue to talk about things that I'm interested in and reading that, that that I may not have like a direct outlet for to say, oh, I'm going to write about Cameron's work on critical leadership, right? Or culturally relevant leadership, culturally responsive leadership. When I think about the podcast, I'm not thinking about me. I'm thinking about the folks who are doing the work that I admire. And not only as, as one of my favorite uh, guests said, uh, who people who are doing the work not only on the sheets, but in the streets as well. So I, I, I just love that that framing for, for our work and for the podcast. Shout out to Katrina Overby. <laughs> well, I can't help but think about several different types of sheets just because I live in a digital world. 
let you know, I know what was meant there. You meant paper. <laughs> Did I, I though? I, I, can't, I can't with you. I All can't these COVID you. babies. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit, you know, not to change the subject, but the, the intersections that do exist between um, creative work and creating um, and serving also as colleagues who luckily are at the same institution, like how do those sections exist and what emerges out of all of that interplay that may be happening there? Yeah, I, I think one, I'm very fortunate to have a dean that really wants us to think creatively about our scholarship. When I think about her own trajectory, so our dean is the illustrious Dr. Robin Hughes, and she is a huge proponent of public scholarship and feels that in order for the academy to do what it's supposed to do in terms of providing a public service to uh, society or being a public good to society, I think our dean believes that deeply, uh, that it can't just be uh, journal articles. Uh, written to a small insular audience. So we have to begin to think creatively about how we use our voice, how we use our knowledge um, in service to a larger public good, uh, and not just as sort of social or educational capital that helps us secure our own uh, jobs. And, And our dean has been very clear that the way forward is creatively, and she wants us to think about new outlets of sharing the work that we're doing whether it's participating with, uh, we have a charter school in East St. Louis, whether it's serving there, working with students and helping them begin to see themselves as educators, scholars, scientists, uh, or whether it's doing something creative like a podcast or uh, a documentary. So our good colleague, Candace Hall is working on a documentary now, um, and hopefully we'll have uh, some screenings of it in the fall Uh, that just showcase some of the exciting intersectional work that we're doing in our department. Uh, So to have four faculty, uh, uh, four Black faculty uh, as the only tenured instructors or tenure track instructors in the program is exciting for us, and it gives a a different lens to the work that we're doing. Um, So for me, I, I feel a lot of freedom in pursuing uh, creative academic work because I know our dean is is backing it and is looking for it. I don't know if that answers the question. Go ahead, Sharice. <laughs> I, that was well said. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> so I, I, I would love to stay with this kind of theme of thinking about the intersections that exist between collaborating on creative works and serving as colleagues at the same institution. And you all have worked at other institutions whether that be you know, um, as, as faculty or as higher ed professionals, as doc students. And from what I can see, I'm an outsider looking in, SIUE feels very different uh, for the both of you. So talk about, if you both could talk about what, that, what, what you're sitting in right now and what that means um, where you are currently in your career, given where you have been in your career. I think because it's intentional, right? versus like at other institutions of how this community has grown. Well, JT was here before um, Dean Hughes got here, but since she's been here, just the growth in position. So it just went from JT being by himself to um, then Candace came, then I came, and Derek came, and Angel came, and then 
We have other folks on campus that are in positions that are adjuncting in our office. So I think being purposeful and whether it's like strategic hiring and intentionally like we're gonna build community and just build, you know, some some black, bring some more black people pretty much to, to the campus. So I think that that helps. And I think it also helps that we're aligned in our goals and stuff too, even though we may approach things differently. I think we all have the same goals for our program and it's beyond us as individuals. So we're not like fighting and it's not competition to grow. It's like, how can I support you? You know, JT will be there to get tenure. We're claiming it. And, you know, I know he'll help us along the way, you know, <laughs> so, so I just think it's, we're not like trying to compete, like who's better than the other. It's not ego over here. And I think that helps. Well, and I'm really excited for y'all to also have JT Money Minor uh, coming to your campus and serving as your chancellor as well. Like, uh, I think this is a very exciting time for your institution. Uh, and, and I'm actually really excited to see what happens in the next three to five years under his leadership, because I, I can't imagine, like, I know that it looks very different for you now, but I imagine in about three to five years, it, it's going to be wildly improved for the better, right? Like, community-wise, um, everything that's possible for the region, you know, educational opportunities for the community that is there, but also in St. Louis, like, I'm excited. Yeah, it's very exciting. Like, the excitement we saw for having a candidate who actually has a higher ed background and studies higher ed, which is rare, <laughs> you know, you know, the backgrounds of like college president. So it was really exciting. Like, wait, we know who this is, and it's in our field. What? So we're really, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited too. I, I think he is already shaking things up. I'll be honest, I'm always concerned. So like I think about Barack Obama when he became president and him deciding to walk outside of the, the um, motorcade or did, wasn't riding in the vehicle, but was just out. I was like, no, 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 no. Barry, we need you. In the in the in the car behind a bulletproof glass because we don't want these people to do anything to you, and I have a similar sort of and I won't call it fear, but there's a similar concern or or extra level of protection to to a black chancellor, especially in an institution. Like we know, I'll just say it straightforwardly that all of our institutions uh, have a core or root of anti-blackness. Uh, so I feel a desire to, to protect what I think is going to be a transformational leader for our institution. Um, so I may be a little sensitive when people say some sort of comment about, well, he should have done this. I'm like, well, you ain't the chancellor. You don't know. <laughs> stay off my, stay off my guy. <laughs> uh, but I am really excited about uh, th just the energy that he has already brought to the institution and he wants us to be SIUE, to be an institution of first choice. That's what he's saying. And the way that we're going to get there is through reaching out to, to the Metro East region and St. Louis in particular, to, because it's wild to me how many students don't see SIUE as a choice for them. And I think having a chancellor that is actually saying, we don't want you to go to SLU, we don't want you to go to um Bob, we don't want you to go to Washu. We want you to go to SIUE. That's we have a, we have made space for you. I think I think you're going to see some dramatic changes over the next couple of years, and it's going to be a really good space for for Black students in particular. 
Uh, well, I think all of that ties into the next question, even, especially since you think about like hopefully the core component of folks that eventually will flood the, the gates of SIUE, right? Like um, looking ahead and thinking about uh, all the things that are happening, what considerations would you urge scholars, maybe even educators at your institution uh, to make when it comes to engaging in participatory action research, especially when it comes to Blackness or anti-Blackness? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things that immediately come to mind. The first is I think about people who do this work well. So I, I think about um, Brian Burt in terms of building community with scholars of color. I, I think his work is focused on STEM. Um, and he doesn't do participatory action research, but I think he is building communities of, of scholarship and support. And I think there are multiple models that that we can um, bring bring to bear at our institutions. Uh, one of the things that I do practically is so SIUE we use the teacher scholar model. Uh, being a teaching institution, obviously, the most important thing is how we're preparing or engaging students in the learning process. And scholarship for me, as I'm trying to make my way through the tenure track process is um, it's really important for me to have students thinking with me around research. Deputizing, if I could use that word, deputizing um, our program as a community uh, that is collectively engaging in research. So last year, uh, one of the things that our student body engaged in that was really exciting, um, and, and we did so intentionally as a faculty, uh, was helping our white students uh, think about their whiteness. So we had a, actually a small group of students lead a couple of book studies, work with our Black Graduate Student Association to figure out what are the needs and how can we support the campus initiative to, to become an anti-racist institution. It's harder, I, and I grant, I, I recognize it can be more difficult at institutions that don't value that sort of scholarship and and aren't willing to give scholars the time to build those sort of relationships uh, because engaging for me in community-based research, um, participatory action research can often be seen as a lesser than. Uh, so I, I think, again, having leadership that understands, that understands the assignment, we got to have leaders that are willing to, to say, no, public scholarship is not less than. Participatory action research is not, is research. It's a form of good research, impactful research, until I think we have a greater appreciation and quite frankly, urgency around that sort of work. It's going to be, it's going to be a challenge, but I'm grateful to be at a space that embraces those sorts of things. For me, oh, I do want to shout out uh, Dr. Robin Phelps Ward because we worked together at Clemson and she created the Action Research Collective there, which was doing a lot of um, participatory action research with graduate students and some undergraduate students, and particularly looking at, you know, Black graduate student experiences. So, and now she's at Ball State and started doing some of that work there, but I, I just think it's a great opportunity, not only ourselves, but for students to explore more about their identities and things that they want to explore personally too. So thinking about Blackness, I think a lot of times we're exploring like issues of race and other things. I think what I would like to see is more exploration of like joy too. What does Black joy look like at college campuses? I think that would be a great 
type of participatory action research is, you know, things like that to explore. But yeah, I just think it's a great tool. And I think it's helpful into practice, right? If we're thinking about practice and like policy change as well too, to see those engaged in the work also like, okay, the next step is like, how do we present this information? Not only in a publication, but we're going to like a town hall or setting up meetings with administrators. Like these are our experiences and this is how we looked at it through research as well too. So yeah, I wanna see more of that, exploring more all aspects of blackness, joy, pain, all of that. And and Robin's episode on you all's podcast is one of my favorites. Um, I love her, so yeah, shout out to, to Robin. Uh, so you all are familiar uh, with the lightning round uh, with with the with the this or that. So we are going to jump right into it as we conclude our time with with the both of you. So I'm gonna start us off. So y'all doing sugar or salt on them grits? Salt. Oh, Team salt. This is already hard for me. But I go go sugar. <laughs> sugar. Spades or Uno. I do love spades though. It depends on who who I'm with. Some games I'm like spades and some I'm like Uno. Yep. Oh, I gotta go Uno. There's some people listening that's taking y'all black card, but best man <laughs> or love Jones. Best man or love Jones? It's gonna be best man for me. I really do love Love Jones. But I watch Best Man more than Love Jones, so I'm not to go with Best Man. Girlfriends or Blackish? Oh, girlfriends. <laughs> uh, these are really hard for me. I uh, uh, I love. I, I honestly, I don't love either of those shows. Unpopular opinion, but girlfriends. <laughs> Barack or Michelle? Oh, that's easy, Michelle for me. Yeah. DC three or escape? Oh, but it's like two different eras. Yeah, y'all, y'all missing the point of lightning. I know it's so hard for me. These are hard. DC three, DC three, DC three. Okay, even I'm partial to DC four, but I know that's not. Did y'all see what Candy said? Candy said that escape will wipe the floor with DC three in a in a versus. Oh no 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 no! They yeah. I, I like disagree. <laughs> well, we really appreciate your candor, your thoughtfulness, um, your expressive giving. Uh, you're always offering uh, tangible nuggets of thoughtfulness and um, community. So we appreciate you coming on the show and we hope that you have a very holistic rest to your summer and a holistic academic year. Thank y'all us yes again shout out to to the originators in the space i appreciate y'all ogs holding it down for real podcasters in these streets much love for the 99 to 2000 <laughs> let's <Hey>. go <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all y'all can catch blacktivism wherever you get your podcasts Give it a listen. Always a good time. Always some gems dropped. So shout out to Sharice and JT. Thank you. We will talk to y'all soon. Don't you just love JT and Sharice? I love their energy. <laughs> Those are some of our best this or that. I enjoy what they're doing with Blacktivism in the Academy. 
and the space that they have created to be their authentic selves and welcome scholars to a space. I remember when we did their podcast earlier this year, I think that was the first space that we actually got to share our origin story of, of Scholar T. So shout mm-hmm. out to JT, Sharice, and all of the Blacktivism in the Academy hosts. So should we get into what's problematic this week? Por favor. So uh, what's problematic this week? I think it's a reminder. It's a PSA. It's a, hey, sis, let me check you real quick. What's problematic is you not putting yourself first. Um, So we have discussed this many times before, how we as people of color have such a love and passion for the work that we do and not saying that other people don't. But we oftentimes can be guilty of putting our students, our families, the work, and these institutions before our own well-being. Here to put up the red sign, stop it. Um, With the rise and ongoing great resignation, we are definitely seeing a shift of prioritizing our mental health and physical health. But many of us are still guilty of not doing this. So let this be a reminder that that email can wait. Someone else's emergency is not necessarily your emergency. And reminder that these institutions will never be loyal to us. So hold your loyalty close to your chest. And by chest, I mean your heart. Uh, Be loyal to what you personally care about and what cares about cares about you. And I mean, I I think to add to that, folks are even putting to the side the quality time they should be spending with those folks that care about them the most to do the work of an institution that does not care about their well-being at the end of the day. So I think I want to add making sure that in addition to taking care of yourself, uh, you're also centering the importance of community and gathering space with those that love you and you love because you don't have them indefinitely. You don't know when folks will be here and when they won't. You don't know when you'll be here and when you're gone. So make sure you're spending that time wisely because it is money and it cannot be, uh, it's not currency that you can get get at the end of the day. Once it's gone, it's gone. Put you first, sis, put you first. Well, to lighten the mood a little bit, you ready for these jokes? Give them to me, give them to me, give it to me. Okay, I'm really excited about this week. I can't wait. Woo! Okay. Okay, so, you know, I'm a kleptomaniac. Sometimes it gets really bad and I have to take something for it. What you be stealing? Oh, you just didn't get it. Oh, you know, it was the whole joke. Ooh, okay. That was the whole joke. <laughs> I have to take something, to take something for, for it. it. Okay. Okay. I just thought it was another. Okay. <laughs> and, and we'll do, you know, scholarly behind the scenes. And maybe one day I'll tell you some about some of my exploits, you know, when I was younger. In my oh, 20s my goodness. And I, you little thief. In my teens, you know. Oh. A little this, a little that. Anyways, I've got a joke about the fall semester, but you're not remotely ready for it. (laughs) Remotely ready for it, the joke. You finally got it. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) What has luxurious alpaca fur and drops classic albums? I don't know. Kendrick Lamar. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you milk sheep? How you bring out a new iPhone for a thousand dollars? Pew pew pew. 
<laughs> Congratulations to Sarah Willie LeBrayton, who was named president of Smith College, and to George Grant Jr., who was recently appointed as the fifth president of Saginaw Valley State University here in Michigan. Also, congratulations to Antoinette Coleman, who began her new role as provost and senior vice president for academic affairs at Mecker Edwards College. Author Layla Lalami wrote, to overcome my fear, I shackled myself with hope. It's links heavier than any metal known to man. Though we may be burdened by the weight of life, enter into this week shackled to idealism, joy, to your values, to yourself, to the ideologies that inspire you to faithfulness, and the hope that the world around us can change for the better. Within your sphere of influence, find ways to institute small wins that will lead to large strides. Above all, center your peace in order to overcome your fears. Be well. And that is the tea this week. We are two scholars giving you the tea, and we will see you next week with episode five. Holla! 